Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. we got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, we talk with Mr. Greg Guy, CEO of Air Force One. And no, it's not the plane. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, Check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. Our final shout-out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. I'm going to kick it over to Josh for an intro on our guest today. Hey guys, today we have Greg Guy, the CEO of Air Force One. They're a company that delivers custom facilities solutions specializing in HVAC, building automation, and energy management. Before Air Force One, Greg got his bachelor's degree in business at the College of Charleston and an MBA from the Fisher College of Business while working as the president of Air Force One. Very excited to have him on the show today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Greg. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. How's your day going so far? Yeah, excellent. It's a little wet today, but you know, it's Columbus. Yeah. You said you got back from skiing. Are you out of town for the best? Yeah, I was, I've just been heli skiing in Alaska for the last uh, uh, week almost. So, so it was you say great. heli skiing. Are you being like dropped off by a helicopter at right. the top of a mountain and yeah, like and no trails, no nothing, just going up there? And You have a guide in the helicopter with you that gets out with you and then uh, leads you down 
down the trail. See, I yeah. could talk about this for the whole episode. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so how high are you dropped out of the helicopter? Well, you know, the helicopter lands, and then you get <laughs> out, and you still cool. Yeah, <laughs> and, you, and you and you get your stuff out, and then the helicopter takes off. Um, but then you're all by yourself. I mean, you know, out there. Um, right. So it's it's a uh, you know if you're a skier, it's like and it, I mean doing it in Alaska is like it's it's pretty much like going to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Um, do you stay in like a cabin in the woods when you do that? Too? No, actually, uh, Girdwood, Alaska, which is uh, about an hour outside of Anchorage, is home to a four-star resort called um, Alieska, and um, the heli operator um, has a like a little um, office space in the hotel, and so you stay at the hotel, and it's a great resort, and you can resort ski there too, uh, or you can go cat ski or heli ski. So, um, so yeah, so we got pampered. It was great. That is awesome. Yeah. That is. So this episode is not about <laughs> yeah. heli skiing, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. But so to kick it back to the beginning, kind of the way we like to start is just keep things chronological and give us a little bit of background on you when your when your story really starts, whether that was high school or college, and uh, paint us a vision up until being the CEO of Air Force One. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I was one of those guys that um, knew from an early age that I wanted to go work for my dad. So my dad started our company um, when I was ten, and um, I, uh, about the time I was 13 or so, I, I kind of thought that that's what I wanted to do. So I went away to college. Um, our business was still really small when I got out of school. Um, and, uh, I came back and our, our business, we had like maybe eight or nine employees. Um, and, uh, and why Charleston? If you don't mind, I might yeah. interrupt here. Oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Charleston. Um, I mean, if you've been to Charleston, uh, you, you, uh, you can, you can quickly understand why when I went and visited there, I just fell in love with it. I mean, it's just a great town, tons of character, a lot of history. Uh, it just felt right. I, I kind of wanted, when I was looking at colleges, I kind of wanted to go someplace where I could wear shorts and flip flops to school. Um, and, uh, and I liked the idea of being on the coast. So that was, uh, that was kind of why I picked it. Um, and that, and it had a good business school, but I mean, I didn't have great grades coming out of high school much better grades in, in college and, uh, in graduate school. But, um, so I didn't have tons of options and it, uh, it was, it was beautiful. Girls were beautiful. It was a lot of fun. Um, I had a, I had a good experience. I studied abroad for a bit of it and, um, uh, but then knew I was going to come back after, after school. So that was another part of the reason about going away was cause I kind of knew I was going to come back to Columbus to work for my dad. So so it was good to just get away for, for a bit. And, um, and, uh, but yeah, so when I got back, um, we had about eight associates, um, and, uh, just, it was very small, very entrepreneurial. Um, we, um, landed, uh, some business, um, which took us to some other markets. So we just had our office in Columbus, um, quickly, fortunately, we were able to work some deals um, in uh, Northeast Ohio, Northwest Ohio, Southwest Ohio, so quickly opened offices, which was really crazy because, you know, we're just, I mean, the epitome of bootstrapping. Um, I was on the road hiring technicians, um, hiring uh, salespeople, opening offices in Cleveland, Toledo, uh, Cincinnati, um, and then ultimately we opened an office in Akron. Um, we opened a, a national accounts business. Um, all that while I was like 22, 23, 24 years old. Um, so it's all over the span of two years. You guys grew this quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then the, you know, growth in my experience kind of comes in, in fits and spurts. Um, and so we grew, um, you know, like you take, you know, you bite off more than you can chew, right. Um, you make promises and then you just got to figure out how to keep them. Um, and, and, um, I mean, that's kind of the, the way it went. Um, 
and now businesses, you know, now we're at 175 people. Um, and so it, it's the, the investments are more calculated and, um, the growth is more controlled. Um, and it's a little less, you know, it, well, it's a lot less fly by the seat of your pants, but, um, it's, you know, so, but back in those early days, it was very much, you know, yeah, we can do that. Let's figure out how to get it done. Um, and, um, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's been a, a lot of fun actually. Uh, you know, I mean, it was a lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of stress, but a lot of fun. Do you have a specific example of a time where you might've bit off a little more you can chew and how you got through it? Uh, yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, it was how I got through it and, and a lot of good people. But so when I was, um, like in my early twenties, I remember bank one at the time. Now, of course their chase, um, gave us an order to, um, service a bunch. We take care of buildings, right? So our business is about helping buildings perform better existing buildings. Um, and so they gave us an order to take care of like 500 of their buildings, um, in, uh, Ohio and West Virginia. And, uh, you know, they were, frankly, they were, they put a lot of faith in our ability to do it. And we did it. We, we, um, they, they've changed, the business has changed a lot, um, over the years. So we don't currently do that same volume with Chase, but, um, but they, uh, they gave us a shot and that's what you do. I mean, you lean on, you lean on people, um, to give you shots and, um, you know, what did we do? I mean, we assembled a team. Um, it's amazing when, when you, you, you give people an opportunity to just step up, um, they can really surprise you sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it, uh, that's happened again and again, um, over my career where we've, we've been given opportunities. Uh, we, you know, just surrounded ourselves with people that just said, you know, how to can do, can, can get it done kind of attitude. And, um, you know, it works out, it works out. Okay. I mean, we, um, we were able to make it through. So from my personal experience and our experience from interviewing other successful entrepreneurs and individuals, you know, across the past couple months, something I've noticed is that not just in terms of business deals, but in terms of personal experiences, when they kind of bite off more than they can chew mm -hmm. is when they really like, that's kind of how they hit those, those growth stages. Like it's taking on right. more than you actually think that you can handle and then rising to the occasion. And it's kind of right. what separates the successful people. So that's interesting to hear you say that. But I guess one thing I'm really curious about, with Mike and I being in our 20s and a large listener base of us being between, you know, 24 and 34, mm -hmm. um, what were those years like for you walking into a business? You never, I mean, you'd been around your dad the entire time, so you'd obviously learned a lot, but you never run a business yourself. So what did your roles look like within the company and how did they evolve over that time? Yeah. Um, just to echo your, your, your point just a second ago, I mean, if it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. And, you know, again and again and even and even today and looking for opportunities to make myself put myself in a vulnerable position um where i where i get nervous because if i get nervous then i then i focus and you know that 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 place of being vulnerable and being exposed creates in 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 you in me the um a, the ability to just get hyper focused on something and just work it um, until until you win, and um, and so I, I would you know I would say that that's been a common theme in my life is just putting myself in positions where I've I've been scared, I've been nervous, um, and um, and then you know you just you just tap into a whole resourcefulness and a creativity that 
you can't you can't get to when you're not in that situation, or at least I can't get to it if I'm not um, if I'm not stretching myself. So whether that's public speaking, whether that's serving on a, a board, whether that's um, you know uh, you know doing an acquisition, whatever that might look like, um, looking for opportunities to stretch myself. So. Um, what my roles looked like um, through my 20s were, it was pretty fluid. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say about our business and, and what I would say to anybody who is starting a business or looking to start a business um, or start a, a business unit inside of a business is understand what your purpose is. And that, you know, there's a whole, everything will change. You know, the one thing that's constant about business is that you got to break it. You know, it, you know, when I think about the the plateaus going from, you know, 2 million to 5 million, then 5 million to 10 million, and 10 to 15, and 15 to 20, and 25 and 30. It's like every 5 to 10 million, you, you know, you, the business has to, you just, you have, you have to break it. And um, what I mean by break it is, is that your policies have to evolve, your procedures have to evolve, you have to, you have to, you know, diagram out your flow processes all over again. You know, you have to, you have to pump, you know, superstructure into the, the organization to support the growing number of associates and the no, no, growing number of clients, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so, uh, but the thing that always stayed consistent for us was, you know, we make buildings perform better. That's what we do. And so with that as kind of the focal point, you know, my role in what I was doing in any given day, whether I was recruiting, I was selling, um, I was estimating costs, I was, um, you know, trying to develop people, um, you know, I was dealing with vendors, I was, you know, dealing with bad, tough situations, whatever those were, you know, I, I, we were always working around that core focus, that core purpose. Um, that, so, so be very, you know, it's really important, I think, in business to be clear on what you're going to say no to, because you, you can't be everything to everybody, right? So you think about, like, I'm an HVAC guy, Right. So I take care of buildings. Well, HVAC is a huge industry, right? You have residential, you have commercial, you have new construction, you have renovations, you have preventive maintenance, you have emergency service, you have building automation, you have all these different, these different like slices. Well, we focus very tightly in, you know, existing buildings and helping them perform better. Right. So we don't do any new construction to speak of. Um, so, you know, it's all about understanding whatever your core focus is. Right, and sticking to that. Did you build that core focus around what differentiated you guys from the other companies out there, or was there still a lot of competition within that segment for you guys? Yeah, there's lots of competition. Um, and uh, But being focused and not trying to be everything to everybody, it allows us to develop the bedside manner, right, that um, is attractive to the type of clients that, that we want to do business with, right? So... Um, let me give you a different example, right? So um, there's emergency room doctors and then there's primary care physicians, right? They don't, they, they probably wouldn't uh, like or want to switch roles. <laughs> they like what they do. They, they you know, primary care physicians got a very different bedside manner than an emergency room doctor. Um, an emergency room doctor likes that, that fast paced, right? That production in, environment. Um, primary care physicians a little more, you know, um, you know, it's more of an annuity business, right? It, you know, he has p patients that he's with for a long, long period of time over years and years of their life. And, and that, that provides satisfaction to that 
that primary care physician. Um, so, you know, we're more like primary care physicians to buildings. Um, so existing buildings, people that own their buildings, that are going to be in their buildings a long time, right? Like, so schools, colleges, hospitals, um, data centers, those are the kind of clients that we gravitate to because we want to be with them for a long, long period of time. They never sell their buildings versus a new construction, you know, kind of focused company is just going to be very, it's going to be different. They're going to have different passions. So, um, the, but there's competition everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I really like that you know your niche, and it reminds me a lot of, um, actually, of evolutionary biology, which is a course I took at Ohio State, and finding your niche that animals or species that have found a niche and stick within that niche have a lot higher success than an animal that has kind of an all-encompassing niche, but, you know, it can do a lot, but it's not good at any one thing. Right. So it kind of reminds me, you know, it's kind of like the evolutionary... Uh, science of business yeah where if you find your niche and you stick with it you're going to see a lot more success than trying to do everything for everybody and i really like that concept and i like the terminology of bedside manner too i've never you know it's weird when you hear concepts that you've heard over and over again presented with just different verbiage and it kind of just takes a different pathway in your brain mm -hmm. and it really does make you think of it in a, in a totally different light and aspect that makes a lot more sense yeah back back to your point mike about um the evolutionary um so jim collins in his book good to great talks about the hedgehog concept mm -hmm. which is kind of similar right it's like the hedgehog knows what he does right mm -hmm. and, and he's got one thing that he's really good at and he just does it over and over and over <laughs> again and um and so that's kind of i guess the same the same down that same path so so when you guys were going head to head against some of these different companies within your space what do you think kind of helped differentiate you and helped you continue to grow and increase those $5 million revenues um, mm -hmm. and not stall or fall short? Yeah, relationship building. Um, that would be the kind of the, uh, well, that, I mean, that, and I mean, relationships are built on values, right? Shared values. So uh, that's the other thing that I would say to anybody who's, you know, starting a business or, or, you know, working to grow a business is, you know, be clear about your purpose and be clear about your values. Um, and, and don't, you know, sacrifice your values so because your values are you know the the things that what you make important or, or is basically what you're going to surround yourself with right and that's what people are going to know you that's going to be your brand and so um you know so as it relates to differentiating myself i mean i think it's about um building relationships with people that um that that you, you know my business is a relationship business. Service is a relationship business. And, and yeah, price matters. But at the end of the day, if people are going to trust you to take care of their, their building, then, you know, which the a building contains all of an organization's DNA, right? It contains their customers, their processes, their data, their, you know, uh, their products. Uh, so, you know, if, if they're going in, a, in the buildings we work in, the HVAC, if the HVAC is not working right, then, you know, patients aren't getting the services they need, you know, servers aren't running, uh, you're right. Children are uncomfortable and not learning. Um, and so, you know, people, our clients place a high emphasis on making sure their buildings run right. So, um, so building a trusting relationship over a long period of time is, is, is the key. Um, and, and that's, no, that's no different than, I mean, and I would say that with my internal customers as well, right? I mean, building a trusting relationship with my, my sales team, um, so you know, so that they have confidence in what they're selling, that they believe that we're gonna we're gonna follow through and deliver. There's nothing that will slow down a sales process 
faster than bad operations, right? So if operations is not producing, guess what your sales team turns into? Account managers. Instead of out there hunting new deals, they're turning into playing defense and they're, and they're basically the customer complaint department. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta build good relationships with your operations and your field team. You gotta build good relationships with your offense team, your sales team. You gotta have good relationships. I mean, just relationship building is critical across all aspects of your business. Right, and you talk about that trust being key value. And as a, as a salesperson myself, you know, when you, when you make a call and you promise things to someone, you're relying on your operations team. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saying, hey, I'm promising that these operations guys are going to be able to do what, they, what I say they're going to do. So it's, there's a lot of trust inside a business, especially as it grows, I think. Um, you know, being able to trust each other and uh, the other people that work at the business is key. Yeah. And there's kind of two different in my head, two different angles of that trust. So there's trust once you've landed the customer and then building the trust to get the customer. I think um, at least where the company that I've been involved in, the part they struggle with the most is just gaining that trust, you know, because once you get it and you provide good service and if your operations are running properly, you're going to be able to hold it if you're an honest person of integrity. So how do you think that you guys have been able to develop trust with your some of your larger client bases or your biggest sales? Yeah, um, I mean... One of the guys that, that uh, I've worked with for a number of years um, has a, a has a sign on his wall behind his desk that says, um, "Promises are promises, performance is reality," <laughs> and uh, so you know you, you just got to step to the plate and hit the ball. Um, and when the client places the call to me and they or to Air Force One and they say, you know, uh, my building's too hot they don't care if it's Christmas day, right? They need service and we can, you know, there, there are moments in time when you can choose to perform. And if you perform, then you get the opportunity to go to the next stage. <laughs> if you do not, then game over. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it's every, you know, success is a game of inches and you know, there are all those times where you, you just, you either step to the plate and hit the ball or you do not. And, uh, surrounding yourself with people that have that commitment to uh, themselves first, um, to taking personal ownership of their work um, and of their workmanship, um, is just cr is critical. I mean, because you know, if you if you don't have that kind of people, if you don't have those kind of people with those kind of with that ownership attitude, um, you'll not be successful. And something that I get from your personality and just the way that you hold yourself is I feel like you're probably a person who's probably large and extreme ownership in terms of it gets done and it's got to get done the right way and, and this is how we do it so what I'm interested in is how have you developed a mm -hmm. team underneath you that can respect those same values mm -hmm. um, but at the same time not be too hard on a team I guess and understand that mistakes happen yeah no, that's right that's that's a hard balance to strike um, and I'm not perfect at it by any means um, so I guess what, what I would say to that is, um, as a leader, um, it's really important that your people realize and, and see you working on yourself. Um, so, you know, at, at, at our company, uh, at Air Force One, we, we, we really try to have all of our leadership in their own personal development, um, and, and everybody's got to work on different things, right? I, I think of development kind of in three buckets. So you have, at kind of a fundamental level, you have attitude. Then you have kind of behaviors. 
and then you have core skills, right? But if if the attitude, if, if, if someone has an, a fundamental attitude challenge, right, a problem, if they see the world with a big chip on their shoulder, um, if they won't take ownership of their work, if they're constantly deflecting, uh, or if they're, or if they're, you know, wildly defensive every time that you, you need to engage them um, about anything that's going to be difficult, um, then, then that, that you got to deal with that first. Um, Right, I mean, because you, you, you can't develop a core skill in somebody that's got a fundamental attitude problem, right? And then there's other people that just they just have kind of a, a corner in their personality, a behavioral issue. Maybe they're not assertive enough, um, and you just need to help them recognize that and what the cost of them not being assertive is. Um, and with that incremental awareness, they can kind of catch themselves in the moment, right? And then, of course, you have other people that, um, and everybody just needs to develop core skills, right? Like whether it's selling or it's uh, a sales process or it's you know some computer skills or some how to fix an air conditioner whatever that might be there's core skills um, so how do we so how do how do we address it at Air Force One we, we kind of look at look at the individual and what is the development process that that individual needs where, where are they in that spectrum um, the people with the attitude problems typically don't hang around very long um, the people that um, need core skills but have great attitudes, those people will invest in all day long, um, you know? And so I guess that's kind of how we address it. And, you know, that's kind of more at a granular level on leading people, but I, I'm really interested in kind of the larger macro level of how you build a culture of ownership at a company to the point where people who step in, you know, people you bring into the company are going to see that culture and, and it just feeds off of itself. Yeah. If you understand what I'm saying. So how do you build a culture of ownership and a culture of taking uh, responsibility for what needs to be done? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that there's not probably a silver bullet to it. Um, but going back to at a fundamental level, um, if people are, are willing to look at themselves and recognize that they're flawed and that they need to grow, um, then that's a huge first step. Right, and so when when people in our company look at me, I hope that they see someone who's working on their own leadership, um, that's in their own development program, that's um, trying to get better every day, and so by modeling that, again vulnerability and that um, work, then that makes it okay for them to to be a, you know to be in their own process too, and so and so you know but we we talk about. Um, you know, okay, so so to maybe kind of institutionalize it a little bit more. So every new associate at Air Force One goes through what we call our Air Force One Feel the Force onboarding day, right? So we have a day that we set aside as a as a team, a leadership team, where we bring new associates through kind of our model and what what we expect and what they should expect. Um, so what we expect of their behavior and what they should expect of their supervisors and of their coworkers, and um, and so we teach them. Um, our model of execution. We teach them our values. We teach them our core purpose, um, our founding principles, our dream, all that stuff um, that, uh, you know, we build that day, but then we, you know, then hopefully they get it a million other ways and a million other times, you know, through their daily interaction with our people. Um, but it's a constant effort, you know, from our from the, the, the questions that we ask in interviews to the questions we ask references to the, our performance management system to, um, you know, to our peer reviews and our 360s, it's all, it all comes back to kind of our values, our principles, our core purpose, our, uh, 
you know, our dream, everything we're trying to do. It's, it's, so it is pretty, there's building blocks there. Um, but it's, I mean, it's obviously a lot kind of broader than what I can dive into today, Mm -hmm. but it's, that's, you gotta, you gotta work it, I guess. You gotta create the structure and the framework, um, to institutionalize it. So a lot of these questions are completely off the cuff, totally away from the guideline that we even sent you over, yeah. but yet they're well thought out, very quick responses and well articulated. So it, like from my perspective, it kind of shows me either you've been in a lot of situations like this before where they've been asked that, or you just are constantly thinking about, like you just said, self-improvement and how to make yourself better. So what I'm curious is what are some things that you're personally working on and whether it's in a professional mm-hmm. setting or a personal setting to develop and grow yourself today? Yeah, great question. Um, so the the first um, the first uh, thing I believe that, that people need to do if they're going to grow and develop is they need to go public with what they're working on. <laughs> so um, so I am working on trying to be a developer of people and not so much a driver of work. All right. So there's um, I, I have a coach um, and you know uh, and I would recommend that and. One of the things that I have a tendency to do is look at kind of at everything through a problem solving kind of framework. Like, okay, so here's a here's an issue, you know, let's just solve the problem, and get to the answer, right? Like, it's like like the classic thing between husbands and wives, right? She wants to she wants to get into the feelings, and he wants to just solve the problem. Um, well, in business, you know, I, I'm wanting to solve the problem, but but what I what I really need to slow down and do is help the other person, you know. Um, one of my colleagues or one of my subordinates uh, help them develop and solve their own problem, right? I need to teach people how to fish instead of fishing for them. Um, and so that's, a, that's what I'm working on, my biggest thing I'm working on. Very cool. So um, let's kind of get back on track here. Let's talk about becoming the CEO at Air Force One. Yeah. Like when you initially became the CEO and how your the challenges and roles have changed from then till now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so I became CEO um, about seven years ago. So, yeah, about seven years ago, six, six and a half or seven years ago. And um, uh, so one of the big things that I did over the course of that time that, that was significant in the in the evolution of our businesses was that I, I named kind of a number, t- I, I, I appointed a number two. It was a, initially it was a gentleman who I'd worked with a long time um, he retired, and, and so we just brought in an, another gentleman from the outside, um, which uh, that was a big step for me um, in uh, trying to, you know, kind of think about the business more strategically and not be involved in, in day-to-day operations. I think my team was ready for that as well, honestly. I think I was driving some of them crazy. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the business, though, um, really hasn't, uh, like changed dramatically. What's changing dramatically in, in our space is technology. Um, you know, so we have now technicians that are wearing augmented reality glasses out in the field every day um, that are taking videos in real time um, of, of, of the problems they're encountering with equipment and, and then we're able to share those with clients um, as a way to help bring the client closer to the, to the actual issue um, that our technicians are you know, diagnosing. Um, they're also able to use those same glasses to get uh, help and assistance from a remote supervisor anywhere in the company um, that might have a, 
a specialty knowledge of exactly what they're working on. And they can hear and see what exactly the technician's seeing in real time. So, I mean, that kind of disruptor is, um, is, is amazing, the impact that that, that can and will have um, in, um, in my space. So as we kind of wrap things up a little bit, and I've gained a really good perspective on you and your growth of the company and becoming CEO, more, I guess, like quote-unquote quick-fire questions that I have that are just kind of random off the cuff. So yeah. one would be um, siblings. Any siblings? Yeah, I have a sister, Tanya. She's wonderful. Um, she lives here in town with her. Um, never been in the business. She was not in our business directly anyway. I mean, certainly um, uh, she's wonderful. She's uh, four years older than me. And what does she do for a living? Yeah, her and her husband, um, Tanya and Chris Irion, they uh, own a, a business called eCycle, um, and they recycle and resell smartphones and tablets. Um, they bring them in from Fortune 500 companies and then um, ref kind of refurbish them, make sure that they're in good shape, security, wipe all the security stuff off them, and then sell them overseas. And then personally, what does the day-to-day -day look like for you um, between work and life balance, self-improvement, what you like to do for fun, things like that. Yeah, so you got to find time to sweat. Um, so that the, the, the process of, of breaking a sweat um, is really, really important to renewal uh, for me. I have four kids, um, uh, 12, 10, 8, and 6. Um, and uh, I have a wife um, who works. Um, my wife, Lisa Ingram, is um, CEO of White Castle. So that's a a big job in its own, in a lot of ways, arguably a lot of ways, much bigger job than mine. Um, and she's also a wonderful mother and a wonderful wife. And, and so, you know, the two of us have a, have a great respect for each other and a, and a very deep love for each other. And, and we work really hard to, uh, to create a, um, you know, to create a, a, a great environment for our kids and our family and stuff. But it, that takes a lot of, I mean, you have to be very proactive with, with that, you know, that work. Is there anything deeper involved in that relationship that kind of comes to mind that you think would be valuable to our listeners in terms of, I mean, not very often do you see two very successful CEOs like that and the same family, let alone married to each other and trying to balance a family? Yeah. Um, we, uh, boy, there's, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, but, you know, you know, she's a great partner. Um, you know, she's just, uh, she's you know, superwoman, um, from my perspective. So, uh, she's going to like this podcast. Right. Yeah, she's going to be yeah. a big fan. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, you know, we, we, like we use outlook a lot. We send each other outlook appointments a lot <laughs> so that we can stay on the same page. Um, uh, that's probably the, the single kind of most, when we discovered that you could actually send, uh, a third party, an outlook invite to say, you know, Hey, I'm working late or I've got to go early or I'm out of town or whatever. Um, or you've got to pick up the kids or you've got to pick up the kids. It's that, that changed the, the world for us, uh, in just in terms of logistics, but every Sunday night, like clockwork, man, we spend an hour to an hour, like probably an hour to an hour and a half, just going through the logistics for like the coming week to two weeks. Um, and it's not, that's probably the least fun that we have as a couple um, in our relationship is that hour to hour and a half where we just have to just muscle down and go through all the kids' activities, the family activities, who's doing what, who's covering this, who's covering that. Um, but then once it's done, it's done, you know, and we can, and then it just kind of runs. 
Um, so being proactive, right, is the is the kind of the fundamental lesson there. I think is um, that, and you know, right, love is sacrifice. I mean, people I think get caught up in love. You know, like love is supposed to be all happy, go lucky feelings, right, and like you know, all romantic, and, and it is that. But at the end of the day, in marriage, like in my marriage, I mean, it's sacrifice. It's like I will sacrifice what I'm, you know, my what I'm doing so that I, you know, I can be there for you. And they, and I think if or the kids or whatever. And so if, as long as your partner is kind of got that same mentality and attitude and they're willing to sacrifice, um, then it works. Um, but that, but that is work in and of itself. Do you guys feed off each other at all professionally? Like Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And we, there's some of our, uh, we have some, yeah, which sounds a little weird probably, but we have great conversations about business and strategy and, um, and brainstorming, solutions and um all that kind of stuff no i definitely think it makes sense and uh, one question i had was that um with you living uh, lived in columbus for so long um what are you feelings on columbus as a place to do business and no, as a place question. to live columbus is awesome I, we have such a great town in columbus um you know i just so i i, I mentioned um a little bit ago about this new executive vice president that i recruited well i brought him in from la he and his wife, both from Southern California, and they were thrilled to move to Columbus. Um, you know, Columbus has got this great balance of, well, what I think makes Columbus really unique and cool. One of the things that makes it really unique is cool is the is the is the passionate business community we have and the engaged public sector that we have. Right. So there's a there's an interest, and I and I credit Mayor Coleman. Um, you know, in his in his ten years as our mayor, of really. Um, of really charting that, and um, and I think Mayor Ginther is going to do a fine job of of continuing that forward. But but this passion that that our civic leaders have, um, and that our private sector leaders have for making Columbus great, um, and you know, and I, and I credit uh, Mr. Wexner a lot for that as well. And the and the whole Columbus partnership, you know, led by Alex Fisher and that whole group, it, there's just there's just such a great energy um, in that space that then kind of cascades through. Um, our communities and our businesses and, you know, it's just, I mean, you know, you got great organizations like Pelotonia and of course you got a ton of other great nonprofits like United Way and all the work they're doing. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's a great place to do business, a great place to raise a family. Um, yeah, I, I love Columbus. You mentioned one point at the interview that you have a coach. Do you have any specific mentors that you have kind of guided you through the years that still guide you today that you turn to? Absolutely, yeah. Um, a bunch of, the, of people that I, you know, I mean, my father, uh, absolutely my mom, uh, my father-in-law, my wife's uh, dad, who um, was is just the immediate past CEO of, of White Castle. Um, and... Um, well, I've had a longtime advisor, Brad Dunnington, uh, in town, who's uh, been with me for about ten years. Um, it's just, um, yeah, I've, I've got a, I've got a bunch. My wife, uh, you know, my sister. Um, there, there's just a, a ton of great, you know. And that's what I would, I would also say, you know, reach out. Like, you know, people. There's so many people want to help each other, right? And uh, so, the the only thing that the, the biggest mistake you can make is not to just ask for help. Like when things are going crazy, I mean, you know just lean in lean in and ask for some support and some help and people will people will be there to help you out i i have found if you're genuine and authentic about it definitely so uh before we move on to kind of our final question josh you got any more rapid fire questions for him no i'm all out of rapid fire. he's all out of rapid fire so uh the question we like to end with and the question we ask all of our guests when they're on the show is um our theme 
and you kind of touched on this a little earlier, but our theme on the show is live uncomfortably mm. uh, because we think in order to uh, succeed, you have to constantly push yourself outside your comfort zones. Mm-hmm. And um, what does the phrase mean to you? And how have you lived uncomfortably in your lifetime? Um, what does the phrase mean to me? So I think living uncomfortably means putting yourself in, in positions where you, you can fail. Um, and um, you want those to be calculated. You know, you don't want to do anything that, that'll sink your boat. Uh, but, uh, but putting yourself in a position where you, where you have to grow. And um, that's, the only way you, that's the only way I know how to grow is to, um, is to put myself in a situation or two um, continuously where I'm, I'm, um, I'm nervous um, and, or uncomfortable, as you say. So... Um, you know, so I mean, this interview in and of itself to me was a little bit like, okay, well, what am I going to get into? You know, I don't know. And and uh, so, but this has been great, guys. So thank you very much for having me. And um, I enjoyed. You know, every time I get an opportunity to talk about and reflect on myself and my life and my career, um, it, it's always beneficial for me. Um, and uh, so hopefully, it's beneficial to you guys and to your listeners. I I hope this this was worthwhile. Definitely was. Thanks for your time. All right, conquerors. That's the end of episode forty. If you liked that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor, check out that podcast app you're listening to us on, and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout-out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. Our final shout-out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is 
conquering Columbus.